Can you hear me? Can you? Okay, good. Because I felt like it wasn't on right there for a minute. Yes, that's my son. There we go. And uh, so tonight, thank you for coming. It's so nice to see a couple people that I haven't seen for a while. And of course, to see the regulars. I love you all. I really do. I got these glasses, and they just put all this glare, and it just is really hard to see. But you know, the thing is, when you get older, you have a choice. You can go glassless and look better, or just buckle down and just deal with the fact that your eyes are going, and you got to deal with it. So that's where I'm at. All right, so tonight, I'm going to teach you about a topic that I know you guys understand. I know you get it. I know you say it. I've heard it. Many a time. Tonight, I'm going to talk to you about meh. Okay? You can't get more nondescript and meh than that. Shelby really stretched herself in her graphic design talents to really accomplish that slide tonight. But let's talk about what meh is. Do you guys know offhand? I'm sure you've used it. Uh, its definition is lack of enthusiasm, lethargy, mediocrity, apathy, blah. How about whatever? Indifference. Basically, meh is the verbal equivalent of a shrug of a shoulder. It's like, eh. Meh, you know? We hear it all the time. We see it all the time. We see it even written down in emails on Facebook, MySpace, people just to show a little bit of, like, indifference, lack of care. Meh. People use it in different ways, though. And I found four of them I was thinking about ways that you could use it. People use it when they don't know what to say, when they really don't have an answer. Uh, People use meh when they really don't care or when maybe they don't want to, can't, or don't want to answer a question. And they definitely use it to avoid confrontation, try to get out of something. To me, meh, I'll be honest with you, I find it very frustrating. I not only find it frustrating, I find it nauseating. And to God, it is the exact same way. And I want to explain to you why God is actually annoyed with it. And I'm going to take you into a scripture verse that explains it, and that's Revelation 3.15. There are seven churches in Revelation that God writes letters to. And he says in the end times, these are the people he's going to write to and explain and tell us scripturally and, and spiritually where they are. Because God always talks about the fact that he's going to come back for his faithful ones. And the one question that's asked is, will he find faith? Will he find those that have faith? I'm going to read to you real quick. I'm actually going to go back and forth between New Living Translation, and then I'm going to read you out of the Message Translation. But starting out in Revelation 3.15 in the New Living Translation, it says, I know all the things that you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say I am rich, I have everything I want, I don't need a thing. And you don't even realize that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. So, 
Tonight I want to talk to you about what meh is because I don't think you really realize, maybe never even thought about it, never thought to comprehend that God could actually be kind of sickened by your meh. It's a dangerous weapon, really, that the devil uses. And the reason why it's so dangerous is because most people are very unsuspecting. They don't realize that it sneaks up on them. They don't realize that they've fallen victim into this trap of meh. Uh, but the devil uses it every day to destroy people's lives. And they're not even aware. They're not even aware of that they've fallen victim into this mentality, this thinking, this idea of meh. It's apathy. It really is apathy. And you know what they say about apathy? It basically stands for a pathetic. <laughs> so when you're apathetic, you're a pathetic person. So when you don't care, God just says, pathetic. Lack of enthusiasm. You ever hear described? And I've watched people say, meh, and I'm just like, you know what? They're very tired. They look like they can hardly hold their bodies up. They're just droopy. Uh, meh. Wake up. A willingness to just be so-so. Happy with that. Status quo. Mediocre. Just happy to be blah. You know, there's those people that always love to yell out the whatever when someone asks any of them. And they really do use it as a path sometimes just to avoid things in their lives. People honestly and truthfully just don't seem to care much about anything anymore. I don't know if you're aware of it, if you're seeing it, if you're paying attention, but you see it all the time. When you ask somebody to do something, you get this attitude of, meh. And a lot of times they really don't care unless it personally, personally affects them in life. You know, it doesn't matter what goes on here as long as it doesn't affect me here. That's what it is. It's this more of this mindset of selfishness, how things affect me. And it is dangerous. It's extremely dangerous. You may not think so. You may think it's just a simple little word, meh. Three little letters, but it means a lot. Meh, or apathy, causes us to lose hope. It drains our energy. It really does. It takes our energy away. You know, it, it pulls, us out, pulls us out of our energy. And it stops our creativity in life when we say those words. It also stunts us from growing into people that we were actually called to be by God. But because of this meh mentality, you never become it. Cold. It's cold in here. Do something. <laughs> I thought maybe you'd get the fact that I'm cold. Do something. It's freezing. I'm watching people. They're dying here. They're falling asleep. It's very chilly. But meh is a dangerous situation. It really, really is. People don't realize it, but it's very dangerous. And it affects all of us. It really does. At any age, you can find meh. At any educational level, you can find meh. You can see people all the time. Kids, I know teenagers have heard this. Uh, how are you doing in school? Meh. Do your mom and dad care if you go there? Meh. Don't you have to be at work tonight? Meh. With adults, it's to the dad. Didn't you tell your kids and your wife that you're going to be home tonight and spend time with them? Meh. Trying to lose weight. I was going to take a walk tonight, but eh, meh. 
I know I should get up. I should not hit that snooze, but meh. You know, meh has become the cover for a multitude of sins in our lives. It's just a simple, easy way out. It's an escape. It's a way to just get out of trouble. And I love the word. It's one of my favorite words. It's a lackadaisical way of thinking and being. And it's not going to work. It's not going to work. The problem is with human beings is we are called to care. We're called to be a human race that cares. And uh, we're created to care for people's lives and, and be part of them. And we're designed to be caretakers and to be involved in their lives passionately. God doesn't call us to be parents someday to have this idea of, meh, if I want to do it or if I don't want to do it. You know, when we stop caring about people, when we stop caring about the people that we truly love and we become, meh, life actually loses its meaning and its purpose. It really does. I want to read you next out of the Revelation in uh, 3.15 in the message because that's an interesting way to look at it too. I love the message. Um, I'm later on to finish with part of the message that I ran across, and I'm just like, oh, my goodness. If this isn't a, isn't a charge, a battle cry, or just a thought of thinking, yes, we can do this as Christians, it was just amazing. So wait for it because you're going to love this scripture at the end. Revelation 3.15 in the message says, I know you inside and out, and I find little to my liking. You're not cold. You're not hot. Far better to be either cold or hot. You're stale. You're stagnant. You make me want to vomit. You brag I'm rich. I've got it made. I need nothing from anyone. Oblivious to the fact that you're a pitiful, blind beggar, threadbare, and homeless. Pretty black and white. God makes it very clear that he hates, despises indifference. He hates that mindset that we just don't care. If you look at the the Bible, you can see scripture verses where there's a guy that's dying on the road and the people that he despises and hates are the people that will walk to the other side of the road or will just walk around that person that needs help because they're indifferent because they just don't show that they care and have any love or compassion this message that i'm going to talk to you tonight about with meh and when he spoke this to this church it was in uh, laodicea This was spoken to a church, so-called Christians, that God is telling this isn't acceptable. It's not acceptable how you're living. He's telling them um, that they will not, won't, will not go to heaven with this attitude, that they will not make it. Because he says, your apathy is pathetic to me. God is saddened that there's so many people who refuse to accept his offer of help, But he is sickened, sickened with the so-called good enough believers that think they're going to make it. You know, it saddens him when we don't accept his free gift. But man, he is sickened to death of those who take it and just make it something that he never wanted it to be. Those who call themselves Christians can be the most difficult people in the world to motivate. Man, I can tell you that's the truth. Because they think they got all the answers to the questions that they think are important. And they don't really stop and think that what really are the questions that God's answering. It's not what you think is important. It's what God thinks is important. And the sad thing is they don't see the importance of things that are truly important. They're just living their lives in futility. They keep doing the same old, same old things that mean nothing. 
to God. He says this is not going to make it. Your meh mentality is only going to lead you to hell. Well, the other side, you know, if you've got the people who are passionately involved in Christianity, you've got the ones who aren't, <laughs> the ones who are just basically playing church, being so-called Christians, but not really being passionately involved. You've got those on the, the, the ones who are saying that they want to follow and they want to do things passionately. And then you've got some in the world that are so passionate about the things that God would find disgusting, that he finds abhorrent, he doesn't like. But the other side is a lot of times more passionately motivated to remove God from our schools, to take out the Ten Commandments, to kill innocent children, innocent babies, and to brace alternate lifestyles all the time. They're passionate about their cause, whereas the church sits back a lot of times and goes, meh. Christians have, for the most part, over years and years and years, just become more and more pathetic. And I say that, pathetic. It shows in our elections, in our schools, and in our families. When there's no difference, when they say that studies are no different, when there's a a Christian family and the divorce rates are getting close, they're the same. When there's kids that aren't at all, like, living lives of, of passion for God and they're raised in this, there's something wrong that's taking place. You know, you know we're in trouble when other countries, they start to send missionaries to the United States because we're not doing our job. And that's what's happening. There are people, here we are, we're sending missionaries. We, we're trying to support missionaries to go across the world to tell them about Jesus Christ. And other countries are picking up missionaries and sending them to the to United States because we're not doing it. We're not getting rid of the meh in our churches. This is all we've got going. Only 10% of Americans who label themselves as Christians actually even tithe regularly. Now, when you talk about tithing, that's given a 10% of your income, above and beyond before you do anything. God's word says it's because it belongs to God immediately. It's his. It's what we're just giving back to him. But only 10% of Americans who label themselves as Christians actually tithe. And if those who called themselves Christians, actually if 100% of them actually gave to the church like they said they are. Now, we can't, we can't say anything to the unbelievers because they're not who we're talking to. God, for the most part, is always talking to so-called believers. That's three-quarters of the Bible, half the Bible, most of the Bible, all of the Bible is talking to Christians. It really is, and it's so frustrating because everyone looks at the Bible and says they're so judgmental. They're not judging the unbelievers. God has a lot to say about judging the so-called believers. But if these Christians actually gave as God told them, we could virtually eliminate 100% of the hunger and health problems in the world today if just 100% of those so-called Christians would actually do what God's word says. That's sad. That's really sad. You know, you wonder what starts all this meh mentality. What starts this apathetic thinking? Is it just something that just gets passed down over generation after generation after generation? Or is it something else? Well, I was looking online trying to think, what, what is this? And I was looking at all these different ways that what could cause this mentality. And I came across this, this uh, study that there is. It says there's a book called Mass Communication, Popular Taste and Organized Social Action, which was written by Paul Lazersfeld and Robert Merton. And these men conducted studies to show that there's increasing numbers of people in our society who devote more and more time of theirs to listen to mass media on a daily basis. And because of that, society has become more apathetic 
And it shows just the superficial concern of things that are going on in this world. And what, they're ha- what they hypo- hypothesize is that this constant flood of information that we get fed on a daily basis with media, it has an effect that starts to happen. It's called this um, narcoticizing effect where you kind of feel this um, effect of kind of being almost drugged rather than an energizing effect on the audience that hears it over time. Because what happens is these people keep getting information fed to them, and they keep hearing about all these different things that are going on in the world, and they hear that there's you know, people dying over here, and people starving over here, and this is what's going on with the Iraq war, and this is what's this. And they hear all this information, and after a while they think that all this stuff that they're getting, this knowledge that they have, is knowledge enough about the topics just discussing them that they don't actually have to do anything to help later. They kind of believe, begin to believe in their minds that they are helping or aiding a situation just by the fact that they have knowledge of it. And I think that's such an interesting thing because you can see in our society that's what we have. There's people that live off of media every day. Listen, you know, what MTV tells me what to think and, you know, listen to what NBC tells me or Fox News tells me and this is what I listen to all the time. And all these different forces, uh, you know, types of media are telling us things and because we think we know all the answers, we think we're doing something about it. When actually in the truth, we're doing nothing. We're just having information. So there's this confused attitude that we're accomplishing something and society's conscious is actually clear thinking that they've done something just because they've listened about a topic but you know the thing is being informed and concerned is never going to be enough because you actually have to accomplish something you actually have to take some sort of action to accomplish something and we can see that there's this idea of thinking that just sitting back and listening is going to be enough Could this be what's happened our whole life in church? I read this and I thought, is this no different than what's gone on in churches forever? That we sit there and we listen to all this concern. Man, there's missionaries. Man, these missionaries are going. They don't have money. They don't have anything. These missionaries are getting beheaded. You guys are, you hear this? You hear this? And the people sit back and they go, wow, that's tough. And they think that's enough. It's not enough to be concerned. What are you going to do to cause action? I think that's sad. That Christian media and the church itself probably has fed into this whole mindset. You know, there's, there's this idea, you know, you guys, do you understand? We're telling you the message. The message is Jesus Christ dying on the cross for your sins. If you don't believe it, we believe in the, God's word. We believe that this is true, that if you don't believe it, you're going to go to hell. This is what we say. But is it enough just to hear that and think that you're doing something? If you don't cross the street and you don't tell somebody, if you don't send a missionary, if you don't care about your family members, your friends, those people that you love, and you're not willing to say it, you've done nothing. Just no one is not going to save them. I really think that has to be a big part of it. You know, there's those people that sit there and talk about abortion. It's horrible. It's horrible. It's horrible that life is thrown away. There's people that will talk and Christians that will talk about lack of family values. You know, people just don't make family priority. People don't care about spending time with their kids. And, and uh, you know, there's people all the time that make these choices. They, but they talk and they talk and they talk and they talk and they do nothing. Sixteen years of being in a church and I've heard a lot of talk, but I've seen very little action. You know, all you have to do to see that this is true 
and I'm going to be putting it out there pretty big here, is, you know what, hold a prayer service. Have missions week in your church and see how many people come. Because you know what? You have a potluck or a buffet, they're all showing up. You have a mission service, talk about missionaries, and you know what? God forbid someone's going to ask you for a dollar, so let's not get up and go. Or how about the fact that, you know what, we're going to, uh, you know, have, have a, a service where we're actually, you know, going to go do prayer, where we're going to just spend time together and we're just going to seek after God. Well, that sounds too boring. When it's actually foundation in God's word. I'm tired of people who will sit there and tell me and commiserate with me and tell me that there's so many social injustices and problems in the world and they just walk away and meh. There is a statement that I read that stated that the idea of an average normal church service was a mild-mannered man standing before a group of mild-mannered people telling everyone to just be more mild-mannered like him. That's not good enough for me. Honestly, gag me. No thanks. I'd rather offend every single one of you out there. I'd rather offend you all, tell you that, you know what, it's not going to be good enough to be who you are. It's not going to be good enough. I've told you this before. I know people think I'm crazy when I tell them, you know what, you're not that great. Because the world has told you that you are just on a pedestal, that you guys go out and, you know, plant a tree. You know, you're doing great. You're going to make it. That's not enough. Not if we believe what God's word says. I need to tell you the truth. And I need to do it passionately. And I need to tell you what's really real. Because I have to stand before Jesus Christ someday. And I have to answer for this. Me coming up here and talking to every one of you. And I'm not going to sit back and be mild-mannered. I'm not going to. I pray that this is a generation that does way, way more than what your past generations have done. Because if we don't, where are we going to be? We just keep getting smaller and smaller and smaller. My opinion, this meh mentality... It's just not enough, not when we hear what Jesus Christ did for us. I believe it with all my heart. My Christ, my Savior, Jesus Christ, deserves more than just a simple meh in life. There's a saying, and I really think, I was trying to think, Pastor Steve has said it before, and I was thinking where it came from, and I think it might have been Adrian Rogers, although I couldn't find for sure, that the cross of Jesus Christ demands a response that you can't possibly hear what he did for you as a person, a human being, without actually coming up with something. Either it's going to be yes, no, or something. But you cannot say, meh, to it. You can't. You cannot do it. And if you do, there's something really wrong. You know, this, this whole idea of this attitude in Christianity that we can just be so mild-mannered and easy going and just keep petting our sins and acting like we're fine and no one's going to hell we're just all great people and we're just you know wonderful it's not going to work i think we have to do something you know there's that old saying blank or get off the pot i think half the world and and these christians in these churches need to get busy and they need to start doing something because the world is falling apart and god's word says jesus is coming back and will he find faith That's what he says. Will I find faith? I just wonder sometimes if we haven't become that narcotic feeling, like we just keep hearing these concerns and we keep hearing this. And every Wednesday when you guys come in, you hear us talk about Jesus and we sing songs and and it's just kind of you know about Jesus and you hear it, but it's no response. 
No response. What are you going to do with the message of Christ? Do you believe it? I just think that it's crazy. You know, if you look at the other half of Scripture, of that same Scripture, it says, you see, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. Or like I said in the message, it says, you brag I'm rich. I've got it made. I need nothing from anyone. Man, is that the message that's being taught in churches across America? You know, the ones that look like a church on the outside? Man, there's a steeple. There's a cross. But yet no one ever moves any closer to Jesus Christ and actually doing something for him. Because people are just more concerned about being comfortable and being concerned with themselves than they are thinking about what Christ might want them to do. It's more about what my plan is for my future, not what Christ would ever want me to do. That's sad. That's sad. What happens? What happened? What happened that that's where we became? I, I think that myself, I know with the message of Christ, you know, we're, we're going to have this 50-year ce- celebration that the church has been here for 50 years, which I think is amazing to some people because I really don't think that they realize that the church has been here for 50 years. A lot of times they think Assemblies of God Church is just an Assemblies of God Church. This is it. This is the only one. It's actually part of a a fairly large fellowship type of a denomination, you know, type thing. And this church has been here for 50 years. There's been people who have really worked hard to make this be a church that talked about the truth of God's message. That doesn't make it that everybody's here is going to make it to heaven, though. You know, we got to get this mindset that we have, that everybody that walks in a church is a believer and that they're going to heaven. It's not the way God says it. He makes it clear in this, church, this message to the church in Laodicea. He says, you're neither hot nor cold, and it's disgusting to me. It's nauseating, and I'm going to spit you out, and you will not go. I, I think myself that it couldn't possibly be that these people have just always been that way? Don't you think there has to have been at one point a little glimmer of excitement, something that they cling to? You know, God, God's word talks about us thinking about who we were. You know, myself, it's like, man, I think about the day that I came to Jesus Christ when I was excited because I thought this is finally it. This is hope. This is exactly what I've looked for my whole entire life is to feel like I had a father that loved me, that there was somebody there that gave me acceptance. And I knew that, honestly, he was going to love me so much that I thought, man, I just can't imagine that these churches are so filled with people that have nothing. Because at one time, there had to have been something. There had to have been a glimmer of excitement, real passion for following after him. But is it because of the fact that so many churches want us to be so blasé and apathetic that they just all learn that? You know, I want you to know I almost fell for it. I really do. I was thinking about this today. I thought, you know, I almost fell for their trick. Because I remember coming to church, and I remember people telling me all the time that, you know what, God just, you know, I know people, you know, pastor does services, but, you know, you got to just, every now and then, you just got to realize you just need some family time. You just need some time as a family. And, and, you know, I know that we're supposed to give, but, you know, I don't have much money. And so I have to keep my money, and I have to put it away because we don't know what's going to happen. I almost fell for their tricks. Sadly, almost every single person that told me that trick are no longer here. They're no longer here following after God at all. Those people have already fallen by the wayside. They've already given up on their faith. Thank God that I had more sense. You know what was the difference? Is I actually read this. That was the difference. I didn't just believe what all these church people These apathetic, pathetic people were telling me to do. 
I actually read God's word for myself, and I thought, oh, this is what he wants. He wants me to be passionate in my faith. Oh, he actually wants me to serve him. He wants me to sacrifice. Oh, okay, I get it. That's what it's supposed to be. (laughs) I'm just amazed that I look back and I'm thinking, thank God I never fell for their tricks. Thank God I never did. I praise God for that. But these people that God speaks of in Revelation show that they were in, they thought that they were in control of things. They really thought they had it made. We don't need a thing. We don't need a thing. You know, when I ask you, should you accept Jesus as your Savior? If your answer is meh, you know, it's not enough. Losing our enthusiasm and our faith in life, man, it's easy to do. You know why? Because you don't have to do nothing. Just do nothing, and you'll lose every bit of enthusiasm they have. As long as you sit there and don't respond and just sit and listen every day and never do anything else, never do the things, don't pick up your Bible and read, don't go to prayer, don't spend time talking to people about Jesus, you know what? You will be meh and apathetic. And you'll turn into just as pathetic of a Christian as generations upon generations have already become. I want to ask you something. And this is one of my things that I do on Sunday morning. Let me ask you. And I sincerely want to ask you, I'm not telling you to all raise your hands, but I want to ask you a question, and I want to see a response. And I'm not going to call on you for detailed answers, but I want to see. Do you need prayer for anything tonight? Raise your hand if you need prayer for something tonight. I I want to ask you, what is it that you need prayer for? What is desperate in your life? What do you need God's help for that you couldn't possibly do on your own? And the reason why I ask that is because so many times on Sunday morning I'll say, hey, can I take prayer requests when we teach Sunday school? And it's sad because a lot of people are like, no, I'm fine. I'm going to tell you something. That's the same thing that was (laughs) talked about in the church in Laodicea. They couldn't think of anything that they needed. Nothing. Because they thought everything was taken care of. They didn't have a need for anything. They didn't even realize that they're wretched, that they're miserable, that God's word says they're poor, they're blind, and they're naked. They didn't even realize it. I'm going to tell you, every single one of you is out there need prayer. Every single one of you is that you should be desperate for something. And honestly, if you're at all a Christian, you should be desperate on your knees before God every single time, hoping and praying that the people in your life don't die and go to hell. That's what you should be caring about. And I, I really am always amazed that so many people are like, no, I'm, I'm good. Are you good? <laughs> good enough to go to hell. I don't know if you're necessarily going to make it all the time to go to heaven because there's a whole lot of lack of passion out there. The message, you're oblivious to the fact that you're a pitiful, blind beggar, threadbare, and homeless. You know, these people are not even able to see themselves in the true light. They're self-deceived. They didn't even realize that because of their lack of passion, just being neither hot nor cold, that they were going to be spit out, and it was just a matter of time. Just a matter of time. I want to you know, tell you today that message has not changed. It's just a matter of time. Where is your passion about your faith? Do you have any passion about your faith? You know, am I asking this question, or are you just going to answer with, meh? Is it going to be because you don't know what to say? Is it because you really don't know what to answer when I ask you that question? Or is it because you just don't want to have to deal with it? Because if you know if I ask you this question, you're going to actually have to have a response, which means there's probably going to have to be action, which means you're probably going to have an expectation that you're going to do something. 
which means that you're probably going to actually have to start doing something like read your Bible and pray. Maybe you just don't want to answer the question. Because if I don't answer it, I can pretend like it never got asked. Now just walk out. Hide. Hide in a crowd. Sneak out. Maybe you just want to avoid the confrontation. People do that all the time. They want to avoid confrontation because confrontation stinks. No one wants to do it. Every single time I've ever been confronted on something that was important, it's never fun. It's never fun. If you're doing something wrong, it stinks to have someone come up and tell you, hey, this isn't working. It's not right. You're not doing good. It stinks. You know why? Because we like to be prideful. We like to think that we're doing everything just good enough and that we're going to make it. But it's not good enough. God's word tells these churches that they had good things and bad things. This church, he says, you're bad. You're neither hot nor cold. You know, the thing is what God's word says is he just really wants honesty. He wants you to be honest before him. He says, if you don't believe me, you know what? Be cold. Be cold. Admit that you're cold. Tell me you're cold. And if you're hot, tell me you're passionate and that you love me and that you want to follow me. Just get up and do something. And don't tell me that you're a passionate follower and that you're going to do something. Then still sit there and be cold. Because all that is is lukewarm. The hot and cold running all the time, you turn on a little hot and you turn on a little cold, what do you have? Lukewarm. And that, he says, is not good enough. So you can't play both sides. You can't be hot one minute and cold the next. You can't do it. It doesn't work when it comes together out of that spigot. All it's going to be is lukewarm. It's either one or the other. Your choice. The thing is that you got to understand, though, is God is so great because blessed are you. I want you to know, I'm not going to say lucky are you because I don't believe in luck. Blessed are you tonight because it's not too late. You can actually change. You can actually make a choice tonight. Whether or not you're going to be passionate and you're going to actually do something for God or you're going to be cold and you're going to walk out and you're going to avoid the question, you're going to sulk away and just leave. Now I'm going to read you that scripture verse because I'm going to tell you It is the most awesome scripture verse I've read in a long time. And it actually made me think, yes, this is what it's all about. This is what being passionate for Jesus is all about. I love Paul in the Bible. I say besides Jesus, he's the one I can't wait to meet. Because man, just like me, he was a rotten sinner. (laughs) He was a rotten sinner. He did what he could do to go out and kill people. But you know what's interesting? Cameron and I were talking about this the other day in Shelby, is that God notices passion. And you know what? Even if he notices that passion for the wrong thing, he sees that there's some excitement and some life in you. And Paul was out there trying to kill every Christian he could possibly kill. Destroy him. Take him in. Drag him into jails. Beat him. Stone him. That's what he wanted to do. And he passionately hated Christians. But because of the passion, God took notice. And he said, you know what? I'm going to turn your life around. I'm going to show you what forgiveness is. And you can use that passion that you have, and you can use it to follow me. I can't wait to meet Paul someday. I'm going to be like, yes, you're amazing to me. I love Paul. He's a real man, you know. This isn't a story. This isn't, a, this isn't fables. This is a real man that we get to meet someday. So is Jesus. But 2 Corinthians 6, 2 in the message, amazing. He speaks of his experience following Jesus. And I'm going to tell you, you're not going to hear a meh in this. Not one meh. You're also not going to hear 
Paul talking about sitting on a couch, being comfortable with his faith. You're also not going to see him talking about sitting around watching television with his friends and staying home from church because it's raining. You're not going to see that because there's no meh in Paul. It's all about passion. He says, well, now is the right time to listen, the day to be helped. Pay attention. Today's your choice. The time to listen, the day to be helped. Don't put it off. Don't frustrate God's work by showing up late, throwing a question mark over everything that we're doing. Our work as God's servants gets validated or not in the details. People are watching us as we stay at our post alertly, unswervingly, in hard times, rough times, bad times, when we're beaten up, jailed, and mobbed, working hard, working late, working without eating, with pure heart, clear head, steady hand, in gentleness, holiness, and honest love. When we're telling the truth and when God's showing his power, when we're doing our best, setting things right, when we're praised, when we're blamed, slandered and honored, true to our word, through, though distrusted, ignored by the world but recognized by God, terrifically alive, though rumored to be dead, beaten within an inch of our lives but refusing to die, immersed in tears yet always filled with deep joy, living on handouts yet enriching many, having nothing but still having it all. Man, there's no meh in that, is there? There's an excitement and a passion for following after Jesus Christ because he loves Jesus. The problem is there's not enough people that love Jesus. They don't love him. Either you don't believe that you were actually saved from hell. It has to be that. It has to be the fact that you just don't believe that the message was real. I believe with all my heart my destiny was hell. I believe that there is an enemy. I believe that there is an enemy that's Satan because the Bible talks about him all the time talks about that there's an enemy that's out there trying to prowl, trying out there to destroy Christians all the time. I believe that with all my heart that it's real. I also believe that I was saved in just the nick of time. My choice was made just when it needed to be because God knew I was going down the wrong trail and I was getting to the point where my heart was going to be too hard that I wasn't going to accept it. And he said, now's the time. Now's the time. I really want to give you that opportunity tonight I'm going to have some people, if you guys want to come up, if we're going to have the worship team come up and, and play quietly. I also want to give you an opportunity tonight to really respond. Don't walk away and just do the same old, same old, same old that you do every time. You walk out of here, you don't think about anything. You just listen. You get anesthetized, you know, and just become numb to what God's word says. It demands a response. Yes, you can say no. It's your choice. God's word says he's a gentleman. He doesn't walk up to you and drag you to believe in him. He says it's your choice. He just knocks at the door. That's what the message says afterwards. He says, here I stand at the door and I knock. I knock on your heart. I want to know if you're going to actually accept me, if you're going to love me, if the church is actually going to show passion in following me. So I'm going to give you a choice tonight to either come up and just say yes, that you want to accept Jesus as your Savior, if you haven't been passionate enough, please, 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 I beg of you to start getting some passion because you know what? We're losing it. The message of Christ is just dying out because we don't have enough people who are really ready and willing to fight for it. They're just so willing to just sit back and just be comfortable and they all think that they're going to heaven. But in Matthew, it talks about, it says the fact that he says, there's times where people are going to say, I did all these things in your name, Jesus. And he says, away from me, I never knew you. Because it's not done because we really love him. It's done because we think we should do something. We think that we're good enough. 
as Christians. So if I can have some people that are on, on the uh, prayer team come up. I want you, as if you could, to please, if you're a boy, try to find a boy to pray with. Uh, girls, try to find a girl. But um, come up and talk to somebody. Pray with somebody. Accept Jesus as your Savior. I beg of you, tonight's the choice. Blessed are you that you have a choice tonight. And uh, I thank you, though, for coming. But please, don't leave without just responding and giving a chance to talk about your passion to somebody that you need to do better, okay?